0: So I'm reading from Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. It was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on the third on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of this star is Wormwood, which means bitterness. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in mid-air call out in a loud voice, Whoa, woe, woe!" to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given uh, the keys to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass. Or the Earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months, and agony that they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, their faces resembled human faces and their hair was like women's hair and their teeth was like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months." They had as king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in Hebrew is Ab- Abaddon and in Greek is Apollon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice from, coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulphur and the heads of horses resembled the heads of the lions. Out of, out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulphur. A third of mankind was killed By three plagues of fire, smoke and sulphur that came from their mouths, the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot hear See or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, as we're confronted with a a passage which is in our face about your judgments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our minds and hearts and bring us to you and uh, show us the, the truth of your word, the truth of your son Jesus. And uh, I pray that we would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just to give you a little bit of understanding. Sorry if you're swimming already, but the Book of the Revelation has imagery in it. And if, is anybody here like watching the Lord of the Rings? No. Just me. <laughs> anybody like Narnia? Ah, good. Now we get a few. Uh, Three. That's good. The rest of you are in trouble, but us three are going to enjoy today. It's stories where everything has meaning. It has picture meaning, but it's not literal. How do we know it's not literal? Well, it actually tells us it's not literal right throughout the Revelation. We know it's not actually. What it says earlier on, if you remember chapter one, it said uh, Jesus holds these stars and each star is an angel. So when you see the word star, you know, oh, it's not talking about star, it's talking about angel, right? It, it, but this, the golden lampstands were churches, even though it's picture language. And then you've got this character called the lamb who looks like he's been slain. Who's that? Jesus. That's Jesus, right. Now I can tell you with all honesty: Jesus is not and will never be a sheep. It's a picture which tells you something about the sacrifice he made for sins as the lamb. Okay, so we've heard, of, uh, and what we found is that there is one person in all of history who is worthy to rule over history, and that is this lamb who is Jesus, because he died for his people, before it, because he died to take away the sins of his people. And he in ruling over history is opening these seals and is in control of these trumpets and that's what we're hearing about today yesterday Jody and I went to visit an older couple from our church and we were having a good time and then suddenly they said we've got some questions for you we want to know what the Bible says what's going to happen when we die what's going to happen after that what's going to happen after that Really, really good questions. Aren't they good questions? Wise, mature questions, I would say. Because we live in a world where people don't want to know what's in the future. Oh, they do if they're in control of it. I'm making my future. I'm in control of it. I'm gonna. And my future is rosy. It's got a perfectly happy family, although there's none other those in the world. It's going to have full of richness with no pain or guilt or suffering. Although that doesn't happen to anyone else in the world. And I'm going to live to 120 and I'm never going to get sick. Although that never happens to anyone. But for me, it's going to happen. And that's the future I want to hear about. And don't tell me anything else. If we are wise and mature, we would be people who say, what does the Bible say about life now and into the future? Because the Bible is the authority. It's truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are not in control of our lives. We would love to have that. It's a vain hope. We are not in control of our lives. God is. And he knows what he's doing. And so um, we have uh, an, an honest look at God's wisdom about what the future is. Now this Revelations 8 and 9 paint a picture of the present and the future. It seems bleak. And let me just tell you this. If you don't put your trust in Jesus Christ, it is bleak. We can't dumb that one down. Okay. So this section is called the seven trumpets. We're only going to do six because uh, that's the way the revelation works. Okay. And this speaks of God's judgment. Now, I'm not going to go through every bit this time because it'll take too long. And uh, someone told me once that I talked for a long time. I don't believe it. But in the beginning, in chapters 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7, it spoke about hail and fire mixed with blood, hurled down the earth, third of the earth is burnt up, third of the trees, third of the green grass. What's it talking about here? It's talking about a judgment on creation, on this world that we know. Okay? And it affects the green bits. Um, and uh, But did you notice a third is burnt up? What's good about a third? It's not 100%. Okay. It's it's not everything. Okay. It's not a total destruction. But earth, as we know it, the trees, the grass, is damaged. Then it speaks in verses 8 and 9 of a pollution in the seas... A third of the sea creatures die and a whole lot of ships are ruined. Even the ones like the Titanic, which, you know, advertises itself, even God couldn't sink her. That one. Yep. This is going to happen. And if you were just the average person in the street who looks at the news or who walks outside and has a look, you'd probably say, oh, I think it is. Is that what you'd say? Okay, there's no pollution in the sea. There's no, there's no destruction of trees and stuff. That hasn't happened. There's still 100% of Amazonian rainforests sitting there. Okay, that, all right, you with me? Then there's a pollution of a third of rivers and waterways uh, and springs. They become bitter and polluted. Again, not happening. No, I'm joking, Right. Um, and then, for some, in some strange way, light is lessened. There's less light uh, reaching the earth. What causes that? Well, in this case, God's judgments. But, um, so all of these things say there is a judgment that God brings on this creation. And uh, it's very serious, isn't it? That creation is, in a sense, polluted, damaged. What causes this in the beginning? Well, human sin. Right? That's Adam and Eve were in this beautiful garden, weren't they? And and everything was perfect. And then they were when they were removed from the garden, what was there? Weeds. Hard work. Um, I, I apologize to farmers, but Weeds are always going to be there. No matter how much spray you use. Do you know that? Sorry. I love it Outside my garden, I'm way off, but I had this pot and, and I was growing a garden plant in it, right? It was outside our window in the kitchen. And it was growing well and I thought, I actually don't want that anymore. I'm just going So I stopped watering it. I stopped watering it. It slowly withered up. It died. The ground went hard and shriveled up and then a weed came up. Weeds are incredibly strong, aren't they? You just walk past a good plant and it falls over. You weeds, you pull them up and they come back again. They're right. Okay. What's going on in this world? There is a, there's a judgment because humans have sinned against God. And you might think, well, that's unfair that God will bring a judgment. Just think of this. If God made this world perfect and he made you perfect and everything in it perfect, and then basically human beings said to God we don't want your way, we don't like the way you've made it, we're going to do it ourselves. Is God right to bring judgment? Yes. Right. So, this passage about the destruction in creation actually gives us comfort. Firstly, it's not all going to be destroyed. Only what he's in control of. Uh, sorry, only what he allows to happen. And, and we're, we're actually... Uh, know that he's in control of the earth. In fact, we're told that he holds all things together. Every tree, every piece of grass, everything in all creation is held together by God. Every little electron that spins around, every little atom which makes up this book and this floor and everything else, he is holding it all together. So he's actually in control. But because of sin, there will be weeds, droughts, hardships, earthquakes, earthquakes an earth that appears hostile, there'll be a polluted earth, and we'll say, well, that's because of humanity, which in a sense is true. But you see, God also turns people over to their sin. In other words, he allows them to live in the consequences of their sin. So if you live in greed, what's the world going to turn out looking like? Well, it's going to be stripped and bare, and there's going to be rich people and poor people, and so on. But that is both simultaneously God's judgment as he, in his judgments, allows people to be handed over to the very thing that they want. Romans 8, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We suffer now, but there's a glory coming. And then he says this, Creation, that's the earth and everything in it, awaits in eager expectation, it can't wait, for the children of God to be revealed. And the children of God, for the creation was subjected to frustration by God because of sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. When God first made creation, he put Adam and Eve to rule over it and everything to be good. One day he is going to restore it all and the children of God will rule over it as Adam and Eve were supposed to in the beginning and it will all be good and it will all be right. In the meantime, before the day of the new heavens and the new earth, we live in a creation which is hostile to us. Is that the reality? Okay. One day though, God will perfect it, renew it again and we will live in glory. So, God is in control of this earth, including the things that we say are terrible and they are terrible, but he is even ruling over those things as well. Okay, so we don't have to, though, this means be pessimists, because if a third's ruined, then two thirds is not. Okay? <laughs> But our hope is not in, okay, so it's going to be right, we're going to get through, we're going to skate through. Our hope is in the Lamb who is ruling over history. And if he is ruling over history, I mean, we hate being ruled over, but if he's ruling over history and he's good, so good that he died for us, then he's reliable to hold us in his hands as he rules over history. Does that make sense? He gave up his life for us, so we can entrust ourselves to Him in our history. He bore our judgment, as Ned said. He took the the wrath for our sin. Now, what does this mean? To, it's quite simple. This I'm going to pick someone. I don't want to frighten them too much, but we met Matthew last night, so have Matt. Um, so Matthew, as, I don't know if you met Matt. Most some, most of you probably haven't, but Matt's uh, he's a sinner. He's sinned against God. We know that because all have, except Jesus. And what's happened is, because of his sin, all of God's anger is actually coming towards Matt to burn him up and completely destroy him. And he will die because of God's anger, because of his sin, and he fully deserves it. And in between this, Jesus steps in the way and takes the anger of God onto himself fully, and what Matt receives as a free gift is all of Jesus' perfection and righteousness. Which means now, when God looks at Matt, he sees a perfect, forgiven, loved, spotless, clean human being. On your Matt. He didn't deserve it, sorry. Uh, but Jesus brought it. And we can have a hope, therefore, of eternal life because there is nothing between Matt, put your own name there, and nothing between Matt and God because of what Jesus has done. Okay. That's probably the better part of the passage. Then things go downhill. We get a a spiritual darkness then that comes. It starts by saying a star falls to the earth. And we know that that great star that falls to the earth, actually we've been told about it, even though we, because we jumped ahead at Christmas time to chapter 12, is is Satan, the devil. He's thrown down to the earth and we're told in chapter 12, he sweeps a third of the stars from the sky with him. So he has angels with him, which, which become evil. So they're called demons. But we're also told that he is leashed. You know what a leash is? Yep. If you put a goat on a leash, you peg it in the ground, right? And that goat will run as fast as it can to the end of its chain and it'll eat a nice circle. But if there's a nice patch of uh, good stuff that you don't want the goat to, just out of reach, it cannot get to there because it's got a dirty great chain. The devil can only do what he is allowed to do. He's on a leash. Okay. But he rules over this thing which is called the abyss. And the abyss is like, picture this, it's, it's, it's not literal again. It is a, picture a deep hole in the ground and a big cavern underneath. Why is it not literal? Well, in most, a lot of the translations say a bottomless pit. You can't have a bottomless pit. But it's a, a, a cavern and out of it is this smoke and darkness coming up. And uh, like a giant furnace and then suddenly from the smoke comes locusts. Well, they're not normal locusts, are they? Because when they get there, they're as big as a horse. But in the distance, you see them coming. They're horrible, demonic creatures. They're abnormal. They have a man's face with woman's hair. That's weird. Yeah, And lion's teeth. Uh, they have crowns. So that's, it's, they appear, they, it's like they've got crowns, but They've got some sort of authority. They've got breastplates of iron, so they're very difficult to destroy. They're very dangerous. And they've got a tail that has a sting like a scorpion and they inflict painful stings that doesn't kill a person, just causes them to be in great pain. They're not given authority to take human life. They're on a leash. Okay. There are powers of darkness in this world. There are demons in this world. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, he speaks that demons will torment and inhabit human beings as a sign of a wicked generation. We live in that wicked generation. Okay? And the unredeemed heart, when I say unredeemed, the person who has not put their trust in Jesus is actually in a terrible state. There is all sorts of darkness. Futile thinking. Sinfulness, guilt, distortedness, and people are tormented. Do you know that if you if you look not you don't have to look too deep into the lives of people in this world to find people live in darkness and torment. They might put on a smiley face, like makeup hides pimples, right? But they smile and they say, How are you going? and then later on you find out they're in misery and darkness and torment. I say if you're a Christian don't envy sins. You don't want you don't want the life that they have. Don't look and say, "Do you know the rich and the famous, they have such pleasurable lives?" And then they commit suicide. But they That's a sort of a joke, but it's not a joke at all. Because people are full of misery with a smiley happy face. I mean, the whole the whole idea of an actor is a joke, isn't it? a beautiful person on screen screen, with lovely lighting and camera angles and everything that flatters them in every way and they always have perfect personalities, beat up all the bad guys and then you see those people in real life and they're in misery. Can you see the fakeness of humanity without Jesus? We don't want that life. It is a lie. It's not true. Don't ache after those things because you see people have an insatiable appetite for glory and when I say insatiable it means they will never be satiated. They will never be satisfied. They're under the power of darkness and there are stings. (laughs) Now the thing is about a scorpion, apparently a scorpion is one of the most painful stings of anything that doesn't kill. In other words, It just causes torment. I don't know, I've never been bitten by a scorpion. Green ants, you have green ants in Queensland, yay. They're the same. Cause lots of pain, but don't kill you. I want to say it again Christians don't receive these stings. Christians do not have demons living in them and ruling over them. They have been set free by Jesus, who has removed their sins. So if you want to be safe from this, trust in Jesus as your saviour. What I'm not saying here is, get your life sorted out. Because if you know a Christian with their life sorted out, you know a liar Christian. Okay, We don't have our life sorted out. We have Jesus who has taken away all our sins. Okay, He's made us perfect. We haven't got it together. None of us have. But Christians who are in Christ do not receive the stings of the devil. Okay. The powers of darkness seek to destroy and bring pain and torture, but they only have effect on those whose names are not written in the book of life, that is, non-believers. So, human sin, understand this, it's not just breaking a law, breaking a rule, it says do not lie, I lied, it says do not steal, I steal, things like that. It is, actually comes with it, the powers of darkness, demons and the like. I want to read a passage. How are we going for time? Uh, from Colossians, Paul says this: When you were dead in your sins, the uncircumcision with your sinful nature—in other words, dead—you had no control over it. You have no control over your life. You, you you want to change, but you can't. You want to do good, but you can't. When you were in that state of hopelessness and helplessness, God made you alive with Christ. He made you alive. Why? Because you were good? No. Because he loves you and he has grace because of Jesus. He forgave us all our sins. He took away all our sins. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that stood against us. Okay, he, he took away the law which stood against us, the condemnation because we've disobeyed. He did that. He washed off our filth yep. at the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, I want you to picture this. In the Roman era, he used a word there called triumph. In the Roman era, what would happen is say the Roman Caesar would send his general off to invade a country, say Ukraine or something like that and take over the whole country and he won the battle and he comes back and they would have a ceremony called a Roman triumph. And the Caesar's sitting up on his throne and inward process, firstly, the all of the prisoners they'd taken. They'd, they'd taken the prisoners. And then next they would bring in all the spoils, all the gold that they'd received from that country and they'd chuck some out in the crowd and the crowd loved this. right? And then they'd bring back the beautiful women all dressed up fine that they'd stolen from that country and they'd, and they'd bring them through, and then they'd bring back the strongest of the soldiers that they defeated, stripped naked and chained up in, humil- in humiliation. And then last of all would come the general. And everybody's it's a great glorious festival. Some of these Roman triumphs, they, those, that festival of bringing the stuff in took up to a week. They had so much spoils, so much slaves, everything that they controlled, and that was called a triumph, a Roman triumph. This says here, using the same language, Paul says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, the powers of darkness, the demons, and so on, these great locust-like creatures. He disarmed them, and he made a public spectacle of them. He dragged them through the streets, naked and disarmed, triumphing over them by the cross, because at the cross, Jesus defeated the powers of darkness, once and for all. I'll tell you what, if you don't get anything else out of this, what I'm saying today, be in Jesus, because he's taken your sins and he's given you his righteousness. Please be in him, because there's nowhere else safe to be. We, without being in him, we are at the whim of a dark world, without hope. The last bit of the passage I'm not going to go into greatly, but there's angels who have authority to kill, and uh, we live in a world which is full of death, and wars, and all sorts of of horrible stuff. And some of the people faced with all this horror still refuse to turn to God. They still refuse to stop what they're doing that's evil. They refuse Jesus. They love everything that brings them pain. Yep. And that's horror. And on those eventually will come eternal condemnation. But to those who trust in Jesus, there is eternal life. And in the present, there is this. We have a father who loves us and we know him. Now, we've talked about all this darkness. Imagine love. Isn't love beautiful? You have a father who loves you. He brings peace. In fact, it doesn't come from anywhere else. And the peace he gives is deep. And the joy he gives is dead. Can you see the things that come from God? And he gives hope. You know what hope's about? Hope's about the future. In Christ, your future is good forever. The, the gifts of God are beautiful. The things of this world are dark. And they're horrible. And he has a question he answers the question about what's going to happen to us when we die. There's going to be a resurrection and you're going to get a new body because this old one's wearing out. I don't know about yours, but mine is. And he's going to give me a new body. And I'm going to be with the Father forever, and I'm going to know this Jesus who has saved me, and life is going to be good. So as an encouragement, you as I finish, you will see creation degrading. How do I know that? God promises it. Creation will go downhill. There's going to be pollution. It's not going to all be destroyed, so you don't have to be at the place where you think, can I bring children into this world? You can, because there's still two-thirds of it's going to be okay, the same as it was for you. Okay? It's not all going to fall to bits until the very end when Judgment Day comes. As you see evil and violence and wars, you can know God is in control and he knows what he's doing with you and with all of humanity so you can put your trust in him. I said, as your bodies degrade, as your minds degrade. That troubles us more sometimes, doesn't it? We're worried about our minds going downhill, we lose our memories and and so on. He's still holding on to us. Our safety is in him. When we forget him, he remembers us. Be in Christ. And as we head towards death, look up. Your redemption is drawing near. Look to Jesus and look to him every day and look to him only because he's our only hope in this world. He's our Saviour and He's our beloved. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would show us the truth of your word today. That as we live in a world which at times has deep suffering, at a time which seems a world which seems hopeless and full of darkness, I pray that you would show us the only true light, your Son Jesus that we might trust in him, and that we might be blessed through knowing him. And Father, that you would bring to us those great joys of love, peace, patience, kindness, your gifts to us, that we might live in the fullness of life it is to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.